Miller Lite, the official beer partner of your Philadelphia Phillies, is proud to serve as presenting sponsor of WIP's High Hopes Pod. So whether you're listening to the game, catching up on the latest High Hopes Pod, or at the ballpark, remember it tastes like Miller time, Phillies fans. Celebrate responsibly. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, and hello, everybody. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. I'm so used to just saying good evening or good morning or whenever I come on the air. But I don't know when you will be listening to this podcast, but hopefully you're listening to it. And if you hear me talk right now, you are listening to it. This is the High Hopes Podcast. I am John Marks, along with James Seltzer. Hello, James. Hello, John. How are you, sir? This is good. It's it, it, This is like, you know... A podcast, man. How about that? Like, people can listen whenever they want. They're walking around. They're like, you know, I got high hopes right now. So check it out. You did a podcast for the Phillies 24-7. So on one of the HD channels of 98.1, you did a daily Phillies podcast during the season, right? Correct, yes. HD radio, which, you know... Everybody listens. At some point, people thought (laughs) a lot of people were going to listen. It was going to be huge, man. Maybe not so much. Um, So... Yeah, so you did that, and I would actually drive in looking for it. And a couple times I heard podcasts from, like, 2011, which was actually funny to hear them talking about the team being like, yeah, they could still win. And I'm like, you were wrong. They can't. But um, my first year here at WIP, and obviously I work nights, and uh, I'm a, a part of the Phillies coverage, leading off in the final out. And as a kid, obviously everybody loves the Eagles and I love the 76ers and people love their teams, but there was always some type of a kind of a special bond, I think with my family and baseball, baseball was always my first love. I love the, while people complain about the pace of it, that's what I like about it. I like pitching changes and is he going to throw him a fastball here or or is there a base open? You know what I mean? So like, I love baseball for the same reason. A lot of people don't like baseball. There's nothing wrong with baseball other than the games are too long now and they need to change the strike zone, but I love baseball. Yeah. I'm the same way. It's my, First love, it's my best love. I mean, people hear me talk about, you know, the Eagles all the time, VGN Radio and all that. Most people might be surprised to know that I'm, like, way more of a baseball guy than a football guy. Um, You know, it's what I grew up loving. Like you said, it's, like, the machinations of the game and the strategy and, the you know, just the fact that there's no clock and that, you know, anything can happen at any moment. And, And the comeback is always on the table and kind of to, you know, tight around the hopes are always there you always have that high hope Uh, you know it's always next season and uh it's it's awesome i'm excited to talk baseball so james and i kind of so here's how it worked out we were like hey james we need to do a phillies podcast I'll (laughs) i'll be honest with you when everybody in september was telling me like god i bet you can't wait for the phillies season to end because pretty much i come into a half hour and then i wait around and watch the game and then i get back on it 11:30 sometimes even later and then it's I mean it's a long night but I'm watching the Phillies I enjoyed it. You know, like I enjoyed watching the team. I didn't enjoy some of the, some of the season change, <laughs> but once Reese came up Nick Williams before that, it became a really cool. It salvaged the season for me and I, season ended and I I'm kind of thinking like I don't want to stop talking about the Phillies. There's so many things going on with the team. So I'm like, "James, let's do a podcast." And you were like, "Yeah." Yeah, insta yes. But we need a name <laughs> for it. And we need a name because we're affiliated with WIP. This mm-hmm. just isn't us going out on our own. We're like, hey, listen, why wouldn't we want to be 
with the radio station that we work, why wouldn't we want to affiliate ourselves with them? So, of course, you know, we ran it by Spike. Spike thought it was a great, you know, great idea. But then there's the whole legal stuff. You have to get everything approved. <laughs> so it's like, well, what do we want the name to be? We were taking recommendations, and I think I just threw out high hopes. A couple people had said it, and I think it just worked for everybody. So it's going to be high hopes, James. Yeah, well, the thing that I love about it, and it works on so many levels, and obviously, shout out to Harry, if you're – your age, my age, oh and my God. significantly older. I mean, Harry was part of your family. Like, I grew up with Harry The Callis. soundtrack of my summer. It's, that's a perfect way to say it. So, like, yeah. that's my guy. So, like, th- that alone is enough. But then kind of just where this team is right now, and you hit on it. Like, this season, as someone who, and you know, because you were talking about the Phillies every day, too. There weren't a ton of us out there talking about the Phillies every day. But as someone- We were both <laughs> talking about the Phillies every day. I don't think I don't think there's two other people that were doing radio in the Phillies every day. Every day. Every so day. So when you have to come up yeah. with topics and talk about it, like, there's some tough times in there. Like, the month of May- was one of the toughest months I've had as a baseball fan between it all and the way they lost the game. It was tough. Six and 22 and all that Oduble stuff. Oduble was being Oduble for some of those oh, games. No, Franco was struggling. The game in L.A. would just symbolize oh, it all man. with the back-to-back-to-back to end it. And um, But I think that's kind of the, the beauty on, on the the my favorite level of the name High Hopes is that like now there really is reason for High Hopes. And that's the way I felt at the end of the season was like, there's reason There's for hope. optimism now. We can actually see tangible things that are that are going to be a part of the future, and that's reason to be excited about this. I agree. They need to develop young players still in their system. Like Sixto Sanchez, who is their best prospect, right? He's their best prospect, yes. period. But he's also a 19-year-old kid at low, <laughs> yeah. and now high A-ball. He that's finished my worry, Clearwater. Man. In two years, he could not even be throwing a baseball. He could get Tommy John right. tomorrow. They it, all it's, do. It's 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 so far from a sure thing. But if it ends up working out, you have a number one starter that throws over 100 miles an hour and seems to have the head to be a pitcher, which is even more more important. Well, and the delivery is so easy. That's the thing that when you – like, He must be a Pedro out there. Exactly. The it's like the size, but he uses his body so arm. effectively. Yes, it's, it's elastic arm. That's such a beautiful thing to say. And it's such a strange thing because there are just guys, and obviously just – Genetics, whatever it is, there are just guys who can put more wear and tear yep. on their arms over time and just bounce back. I mean, look at a guy like Bartolo Colon. I mean, he's 45 years old. He's still pitching in the major leagues after all this Because he's time. got a big butt, and it's all core exactly. that he's thrown from. So, you know, you hope and that Sixto is one of those guys who, because of the delivery, because yeah. of the arm, is is not someone who runs into problems. But but that's my worry, right? That's why I love that a lot of the guys that we do know about, and, and most of their high prospects, or at least high-level prospects in the minors, are bats and I do feel At good the about the upper levels, Joe. Yeah, I do feel good about that because that's more projectable to yes, me. You know, which I don't know what's going to happen to an 18-year-old well, kid who throws 100 miles an hour. And we're going to get, we're not going to bore you with the, the minor league because I, 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 and this is the truth. You can look at my phone right now. If you go to my to my the bookmarks on my phone. And I have South Atlantic League scoreboard, <laughs> Eastern League scoreboard, uh, International League scoreboard, and Florida I, State I scoreboard, New York Penn for League. Years. You've been doing this for like as long as I've known you. You've just been fascinated with it. You know it's what like- it was? Back in the day, they used to have in the Inquirer, I think the Sunday Inquirer during baseball season, they used to have – the, it's the only time they would have the Phillies minor league stats, but then they would also have the locals in the minors. Yep. And this was around when Greg Lozinski's kid was in the minors, Ryan Lozinski. And I just remembered, I always find it fascinating for like local people and be like, oh, well, he's in single A, just to kind of <laughs> follow their past. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it's been with, with baseball with me. All right. 
So let's let's do this, right? Because we know that like over the la- the next couple of weeks we'll be talking about the offseason and what they're going to do. So let's keep it simple, stupid, and talk about what you thought about this season. Now you can't go wins and losses, and the first half of the season was uh, just that it, it, it was bad. And um, you know I, the last month and a half really pretty much made up for everything. So at least now you know. I feel like you have a better idea of what you have, whether it's your outfield or your infield or the guys that are going to be coming up or if J.P. Crawford can play third base, if he can be a super utility guy and stay in the majors next season with Freddie Galvis there. Um, Hoskins can play multiple positions. I feel like this season was a success just for that reason because you at least have a better idea of what you have going forward. Yeah, 100%. Well, especially with the the – the way the first half of the season played out, knowing that a guy like Reese Hoskins was ready to play in the major leagues and that you're watching Tommy Joseph get trotted out there to slaughter every night. I mean, it made it even that much tougher to kind of wait for those guys to come up. But it starts to happen. Nick Williams comes up. He's playing pretty good. He's doing all right. Hoskins comes up. Impressed. Takes the league by storm. Alfaro comes up. Starts to get to play every day. Crawford shows people, hey, I'm pretty good at defense. I can get on base. I can walk. I can walk. At his age, too, he's so young, and that's the thing that people kind of just expect so much from these prospects. And it's why, like, I love that you do need to kind of follow that path because, like, it's hard to tell. Baseball more than any other sport, you can't look at what a guy's doing in double A and know what that actually means unless you look at his age, unless you look at his development, all that type of stuff. So I I think to see Crawford come up and get on base like that, I'm just really heartened, man. I'm heartened by the whole thing. And defense. And defense. Defense. I mean, yeah. I think he. I think he should be a shortstop next year. I think he should be. I think if Galvis Ooh. can be a utility guy, I'm fine with no, that. No, no, no. I no. would look to trade Freddie Galvis if I could. I know it's like heresy. I know everybody. No, loves I would Freddie too. I here. would too. I but, would too. I mean, he's an asset. He's and a he, he's a, a defensive asset who has who's turned himself into a, a good enough hitter. Yes, he's with got a little pop. bit of pop. Yeah, yep. Last year of a contract. You know, I think he the should Phil- be batting eighth in a good lineup. Is the I point. think you the Phillies second. Look at him, and they almost wish that he played another position. Or like, if this is a, I'm trying to think, like the ninety, the ninety three Phillies, the two thousand eight Phillies with the third baseman. Yeah. Like Pedro Phillies wasn't a great third baseman. He was what they needed for that run. He could play decent defense. Yeah, he was good. He, he had a pretty good, good defense. He had yeah. a good bat. He had some pop to him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. You wouldn't want him to be your third baseman forever, but for that period of time with the rest of the team around him, he was perfect for what they needed. And Freddie Galvis can be a perfect player for a, a team that needs a veteran shortstop. Yes. All they need is their defense and some RBIs and some home runs. Yes, that's exactly right. And he could be a really nice piece for a team he, like that. A team would be like, wow, he's good. Yeah, he'll yeah. put us yeah. over the top, especially if you have a bad defensive shortstop. But, I think he's know, viewed like that, too. I think he is, too. I think he has I, well, some value. I mean, he's really good defensively. The thing is, is that in this city, because you know we do what we do sometimes, like we've kind of overinflated his... His defense, I've heard people talk about him as the best defensive shortstop in well, the game. You know what I do, right? You know what my trick when people say that? Uh-huh. I say, who's number? Who's the second best? And they have no answer, And right? they have no answer because they don't know. I always just say, have you watched Andrelton Simmons play ever in your right. life? Right. Like, like, let's just say this. Freddie Galvis is, is a good defensive shortstop. Very he's good, top. Yes. He's top He's top tier. 10. Yeah, yeah I he's, he's a top, like a top, top 10 guy in the league. And he's, he's very good at it. He's very good at it. But, and the bat has come along. As you're about to say, but there's a young guy you drafted in the first round that really kind of fits what the Phillies are trying to do with on-base percentage and and stuff like that. Well, I think, look, I think right now Crawford is kind of 
at Galvis's floor. I think he could step in and play defense just as good and eventually better, uh, or at least don't close tell to. people that. I know they freak James, out. I was so I was telling. He bet third base. He never played that position. I'm not going to name names, but in the middle of the season, toward no, actually, when he was struggling big time, everybody started piling on, and this is what I heard from from people that I, I'm not even going any further because. It, People that are that that work for the organization uh-huh. that were telling me that scouts don't think that he's good enough to be an everyday shortstop defensively, and I said, "How come this is the first time I've heard anything <laughs> bad about his defense? Because his because his average is below two hundred. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason." Bobby Brayer won a Gold Glove when he hit three three whatever, right? Yep. Now all of a sudden, his defense stinks because he wasn't hitting. His defense is fine. Yeah, he's he, going to be just fine. He showed he can play three. Three positions. Three positions and, and never played in the majors. And he's twenty-two years old. He's a baby. He looked good over third base. Yeah, he's athletic. Yep. He's gonna he's gonna develop physically. I mean, you and I have talked about this a ton. But Freddie Galvis is what 28, 29 years old. Where was he at twenty three? Exactly, and also you don't reach your physical peak as a human being or as a baseball player till twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. He had more pop last year than he had in in some other years. Frankly, I worried because I so I have an app on my phone. It's the MILB app, where for the most part you can watch every triple A and double A app, but <laughs> <I love it. laughs> game. But you can and you can archive it the next day. But you also have um, you can watch a lot of the Lakewood. South Atlantic and some Clearwater, but anyway, so I Such watched. I watched a lot of these games. I am. I'm walking my daughter around the block in the in the I stroller, and I'm watching it. Reese Hoskins uh, at bats <laughs> in AAA. That's such a loser. But yeah, so like I really I watch these guys, and I'm not su- I'm not all that surprised when they come up and they. Let me give you an example of this season. And it's talking. Let's get back on track about this season and not mm-hmm. debating Galvis or JP Crawford. I was not surprised when Reese Hoskins came up. I was surprised when he obviously had the success that he did. But what everybody said about Hoskins, and you saw it when you watched his at-bats, was he gave you a professional at-bat every time he was up. He's hot, and and we saw at the end of the season, he'll go hot and cold. He won't get a a home run for two weeks, but then when he's hitting, the average goes down to 260, and then the average goes right back up to 300. He's hot, he's cold, which isn't great. But well, what he but always does is, is get on base. Is he on always base. walks. That's mm. the point. You're exactly right, John. Like, that's the difference. That's the difference is that he's always going to be an asset to you offensively, even when he's slumping. And he showed that, look, yeah, his the, the you know second half, I guess, of his season, if you want to look at it that way, the last you know 18 games or whatever it was, as opposed to the first 18 games or 20. Um, obviously, there was a stark difference, but... Oh yeah, Dix. Look, first of all, what he did in those first eighteen games was historic. Like historic. never been done before in the history of the sports stuff. Like he hit more homers in his first thirty-one games than anyone had hit in their first could, thirty-six James, or whatever. I would come back after the. I would come on after the game and just be like, I, I can't believe I'm saying this again. Like, how, like, how does he do it? Yep. And that's the beauty is that because of the uh, walks, because of the approach and stuff, like, look, no one's ever going to hit home runs at that pace. We, you know, he's not going to be. not going to have 86 home exactly, runs. Exactly. And no. he's not going to be a 55 a year home run type of guy. No, but he's 35. 35, 40. He'll have a year where he maybe gets close to that. You know, that happens, but he's right. always going to be a, a 400 ish or more on base percentage yep. guy. And that is so incredibly so that's, valuable. And that's what. That's what you saw at AAA, and that's why I wanted to see him come up earlier because I knew at the very least there wasn't anybody, there really hasn't been anybody on the team that has that has seen as many pitches and worked at bats like that since Jason Worth. Well, and, and it was before infectious, that, Bobby wasn't Abreu. it? That was the thing. As soon as he came up, you see it happening throughout right the rest of the lineup. Yep. No. Yeah. I mean, it's contagious. Why wouldn't guys look around and be like, 
you know, like, oh, what's what's he doing right there? He re- he recognizes the situation. He realizes that if he's down one two, he's not going to see a fastball over the middle of the plate. He realizes he chokes in up. a three one count. He chokes up a runner on second base. They're not going to throw him a fastball three one with a runner on second base and in an open base. Like he 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 knows the game. He yep. thinks the game. It's the approach, like we said, and that's not something like Mikel Franco comes up and tries, say tries to opposite. swing out of his his cleats every time. <laughs> yep, and you wonder if he can kind of. If he learns by some of these guys. You hope. I'm like, uh, I'm so at the point with Michael Franco where I just, I I have to see him do it to ever believe he's actually going to do it. Because like you said, it's it's those guys who are so physically gifted and so talented that they think they can just get by on that. And you can't at He's that a mistake level. hitter or if he's looking fastball and he gets it. He's and got he's quick hands. Like he play. can still turn yeah, on a he ball, can but uh, you he can't led the go- team in homers, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, twenty four home runs yeah. or something like that. But that's in a bad the, year. I mean, and that's the point. He had like a two eighty something on base percentage. Right. Like if you go up and you like pitchers on the on the whole of a season, pitchers will give up those twenty four home runs for the two eighty seven on base percentage. Of course, hundred percent of well, the time. Well, and I, I'd like to go back and see. I, I call them Lieberthal home runs, and I, whether that's fair or not, he would hit home runs when they're down. Eight to two. Yeah, you did where the, a lot of those. The pitcher's just trying to get through the innings and throwing fastball. And hey, he's hitting them out of the park. So you, you have to give it's him credit point, for it. a great point, though. It matters because you're not going to see those in big games where it matters. You're not going to see those types of pitches, yep. you know? You're not. You're not. You're and not and see I, I think he's a really interesting guy getting back to kind of where the team is and looking to next year. I think he is the guy who is most unsure of the kind of, you know, current starting crop. I think kind of the opposite. A guy who heading into this past year, I, I wasn't expecting anything from at least at that level but now i consider a piece of the future is aaron altair that's a guy agreed who, because of the approach again like this guy goes up and he right has a professional bat. approach yep. at the plate and now i think he's a real piece of the future he's got power can play multiple positions all right so we're, well in in subsequent weeks we'll talk more about detailed players because there's a lot to talk about I, by the way i'm not getting rid of tommy joseph just to get rid of tommy joseph you can stack a right-handed lineup and put Hoskins. Hoskins has showed you he can play left field to a Pat Burrell-type level mm-hmm. to where if you have a, a tough lefty in there, put Tommy Joseph at first, first base. Let him get some at-bats. You he's, know? Not, so it's yeah, like, he's not, like, useless. I, he's just he's, He should be a platoon guy. He should be coming off the bench and playing once a week. If you can get something for him, trade him. But I don't Would feel you, like there's a lot of value out there for no, Tommy yeah. Joseph. There's not. It's like sadly, like maybe so keep him for depth. The only yeah, why not? Like the only time you could have maybe traded him for value is at the deadline where there's a team that absolutely needs a right-handed power bat to compete and they can Everybody get one on sniffed the out what Joseph right. is. But he's just not, you know, he's just not anything special. All right. So, let's talk about the manager because you know it's funny. I remember doing doing shows with Howard on off nights with Howard Eskin on off nights where I would not that I blame Pete McCannon, but this is what I said about him. Right now He's not getting the most out of his team. Now, what probably really was the case was he had a couple players that had talent that were cold, and the rest of the players couldn't play. Remember, Michael Saunders, um, Howie Kendrick could hit, but he was hurt. And then once he got players, you saw them right around the 500 mark post-All-Star break. So what I'd said to Howard was managers that lose that many games – don't keep their jobs. Whether it's their fault or not, we know it's not his fault. Like, is it his fault that the Phillies didn't win something? Of, co- of course it's not. But I thought he had done enough to keep his job when I really wasn't looking at the big picture, which the big picture was the Phillies are ready to get their guy, their manager, to lead this team going forward. And it wasn't going to be Pete McCannon, and I think they knew that. Yeah, I, I actually said on the Phillies Today pod, for any of the few listeners out there who listen to that at the end of the season. Well, you tweet that out, right? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. people that I was listen. saying it though. I did not expect him to be back because 
And and like you said, I thought they wanted to find their guy and move forward. You've got youth now. You want to start. You want to move forward. But more importantly, just on like a more basic level, I looked at the situation where they gave him an extension in season this year because they didn't want him to be a lame duck manager, right? So they gave him that extra year. You're not going to let him go into this year without either committing to him for another year so he's not right. a lame duck again. And you're, you're right back where you started. I just didn't see them doing that. I didn't think no, they ever right. believed he was the guy. He's an interim guy. He's a baseball lifer. He's a good, he's a good baseball man he's a great baseball yep. guy but like this is a team you're about to have a team of 20 year olds and 21 and 22 like yep. you need someone who understands working with you someone who doesn't maybe have that rigid old school type of attitude and for what it's worth i do think mccannon more than most of those baseball lifers actually did have a pretty fresh view on things like the way he tried to use his bullpen you know it didn't work out but i thought I, I like that he wasn't at least like bound to this guy has to yeah. be my closer. This, no. you know, I, so I he will did give a lot credit, of things but. right. He handled the. He, uh, he was honest with the media. Um, you know, I I felt like maybe he could have he could have been a little bit tougher and O'Double or handled O'Double a little yeah, bit. That were my issues, like the but, clubhouse stuff. It just what it never seemed like it was super great. Like the Nishik thing, where it was like, you know, he's like uh, said he could, you know, he said he couldn't go back out. He asked Nishik and he said he couldn't go back out, and then Nishik comes out and was like, I you imagine like, saying that to Larry Boa. That's what I mean. Like that kind <laughs> he of stuff. Put you just, through. A wall. Yeah, that kind of stuff just bugs me. Well, like I feel like you should have control of you that. You know what bothered me, and I feel like Pete has been successful because people like him because he's a good dude. You can tell that he's a good yes. dude. But when the whole Franco thing happened where he was just like, hey, my office door is always open, it's your job to go to the guys, yep. especially when when you speak Spanish yes. and you have a connection with these Latinos that maybe the, the average white manager doesn't. It's your job to say, like, hey, get in here. Yes. Like, that's the relationship you have with your players, just to have it like, hey, my office door is open. If you got something to say or a question, come in. Terry Francona isn't like that. Charlie wasn't like that. Nope. Charlie wasn't a tactician. He wasn't a guy that technically was maybe as good as, as some of the other managers out there. But no one handled people and had yeah, relationships right. better Joe than Torrey those guys. Won. Look, Joe, Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey was a failed manager. Like, he sucked at it his first Cardinals. time around. Mets. Yeah. And then he goes to the Yankees with that group of guys, that situation, and now he's a Hall the right manager for manager. the right time, too. Yeah. And a bunch of young guys that looked at exactly, him Exactly. Like they're a just dad. guys who are, are, I think a lot of stuff is situational, but they're also guys who are just really good at handling personalities. And if you put them in a situation where a lot of guys are going to make plays for themselves, don't need you to necessarily be the best strategic manager on the planet, and you could just kind of get this group of a bunch of guys together and make it work, you know, that's a real skill. Which leads us to this question. So who should be the new manager? <laughs> and I just and I'm gonna say it, and I know it's never gonna happen. But did you imagine Charlie Manuel coming back and, and working uh, with these kids? Now I know he's in his uh, 70s, and it's not gonna happen. But. He loves the sport. It's not gonna happen. He loves the sport so much. He wants to be on it. And the thing about Charlie and and I was definitely like when when he was done, he was done, and I was fine with you know them moving on and all that. At that I felt, point, it was. I felt done. like he had run yeah. his course. And I was also one who, when he came in, I love the Indians. They're like my AL squad of one who I follow him pay attention to when I was seven major league came out loved it right thus you know choose the worst team in baseball to like because I already like the other worst team in baseball <laughs> so you know that was fun so they're male squad but I knew Charlie from no over doubt. there too I watched in there and like he is not a strategic mind it was, but it was Mike Hargrove first and yes. then Charlie was the hitting coach who took over when Hargrove exactly was. but right. Charlie knows hitting and baseball like there were things that that guy brought to the table that I don't think 
necessarily came across to, he wasn't when you necessar- heard his press conferences and stuff. He wasn't necessarily and, – and to go against the current Phillies regime, the front office, they're all about on-base percentage and analytics. Oh, sure. And Charlie's about hitting. Like, he, yeah. he said, I'm not worried about walking. I'm worried yeah. about hitting. Yeah. And for that team, it worked. But, no, I mean, seriously, I know that there's been some, some names that, are, that have been floated out there. I heard Ruben Amaro, which was put out there um, as well. And I think that's in, and I was talking to Howard Eskin about it tonight. It'd be talking pretty cool. about someone who knows a lot about walks. Oh wait, right? Yeah, Ruben <laughs> doesn't believe in that either. But I think that that gets put out there just to kind of elevate his name to where maybe he can get another job. And kind of I like, yeah, I love a, that Ruben wanted the same baseball and actually was like, hey, I'll be a first base. I totally that's respect amazing. it. I respect it's the amazing. crap out of that dude. That he like, look, he wasn't a great general manager. That's fine. He did some good things. I think he probably gets he went for it. a worse rap than he deserves. Agreed. But at the same Agreed. time, you know, he wasn't a good general manager. Made some good trades. He when did, he and, and in guys. hindsight, some stuff's looking better. Some of these prospects are his doing and whatnot. Correct. So, but um, I don't think he should have been the general manager. But to, like, I how could you not respect him saying, you know what? I love baseball. I think I'd be really good at this totally other thing, and I'm gonna start essentially start over in those ranks to try and get there. Like, good for him, man. All right. So, who do you want? Not not Ruben tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I, there are a few guys that I like. I don't think that I. Um, I, like I would be happy with any of these guys because there are none that I know on an intimate. I don't want. You know, I don't want Brad Osmus. I don't want anything to do with Brad Osmus. I'm fine with Dusty. I, I think you know he knows a lot of these kids. He's not getting it. I don't think he's going to get it anyway. He's but I'd be, be a, fine with someone like that. I don't need someone who's been a major league manager. See, I, I like Joey Cora a lot. Joe, I think I think they bring in an experienced guy, not necessarily as a manager, but a major league. Someone guy. who's been a major league and guy. Then, I agree. And then Watham comes up as, as the and bench we're ta- coach. And we're ta- or if you don't know, we're talking about Dusty Watham, who who has been through this this organization double a two years ago now uh sing or triple a last year and very highly regarded knows all of these young players who really like him mm-hmm. so i think it makes sense for him to be on the major league staff totally and, and, then and i think you're a, right i think that'd be like a jump to, to put him in that role so i'm just looking here because so howard had reported that uh where's the name tim bogar Former player, I remember. Yeah, I remember Tim Bogar. Like, uh, you know, he spent a while in the he's majors. Been with the Rangers, the Red Sox, Orioles at one point, I and think. he was yeah, and he was in the Angels front office. That's where he knows Matt Klentak from. So that's so, a really interesting name. So I'll be honest with you, I want a veteran guy like a Buck Showalter, and I know he's under contract and he just signed an extension, and I don't. You'd have to trade for him. I'm not saying Buck Showalter. Because he may end up being the guy that can't get it done, and then you have to bring in Joe Torre right. to to finish it off. But I know what he would do. Kind of like Tito Francona does, and it's why he's the best manager in baseball. He puts a team together. Mm-hmm. He knows what to do with a team. He knows roles. He knows how to keep a, a loose clubhouse for guys that are successful. And Buck's a little bit more of a hard ass, but his players play for him, and he knows what he's doing technically. He's a, he's a great manager. Everywhere he's gone, his teams have gotten better. Buck Showalter is a terrific manager. He's never gotten over the top, like you said, but he was great with the Yankees. You know, He's been great with this Orioles team, especially. I mean, the pitching staffs he's had in, in Baltimore, and he's found ways to contend and make the playoffs. They win games. He's a great manager. I mean, I'm with you, too. I think Terry Francona, like, it's so funny to say it, right? Because I'm sure there are at least some Phillies fans out there being like, no way, he stinks. But like Terry Francona has turned into uh, never got nearly enough credit for what he did in Boston. And now in Cleveland, if you watch the playoffs Cleveland last was year, terrible when he went dude, there. And what he did last year with, I mean, he redefined how you use bullpens in the playoffs. Yeah. He changed the You're game right. with Andrew Miller and what he did bringing that guy in. And you need a pitcher who's willing to do that and all that stuff. But he has just such a feel for his club and such an ability to manage a roster through big games. So impressed. Um, so I'm with you. I would be fine with someone like that, but on the flip side, I don't. It doesn't have to be someone like that for me. No, 
No, like, it doesn't. Like I said, like a guy, a young may not be available. Former James. player. I, 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 look, one year left on his contract. I'd be surprised if Baltimore doesn't want to keep him. He's done a really good job there. But you know, with Angelos down Who there, knows? you never I, know yeah, what's going I, on. No, yeah, absolutely. Well, here, here's what I'll say about it. That, like, I don't think he'll be available. And like they don't have to go veteran manager in my mind. They just have to get the right guy. Yep. If there's a veteran guy out there, like I'm not saying go out and and hire. God, I'm trying to think of like a a major retread manager. Like you don't have to you don't have to hire a major league manager with experience. Right. Ron Gardenire is the name that, Gard- that has popped. He's up the veteran a lot. guy that's available. Right. And and knows with McPhail the Diamondbacks from, from Minnesota. Right. You know, like there's it had, a su- had success. And actually, I mean, like of those types of guys, I actually really I like, like Ron Gardenire. I think I he's too. a really good manager. He made a lot out of Minnesota teams that never really had all that talent in the world either. You I'd know? be happy if they did. Yeah. But, but you know what? I'm I'm wondering, and it's. It's the Showalter thing, but it's also it, it's a lot of it has to do with John Middleton. John Middleton, who is now in charge, this is his Phillies team. It's 100%. not the Montgomery Buck bets. This is Middleton, a million percent, and he's he wants to win. And if he sees a manager out there that he knows is the guy, he's going to go out and get him. If that means trading, if that means signing big big money contract, he's just not going to be okay with. Oh yeah, let's hire this guy and give him a couple years. He wants to win, and if he sees somebody out there that. Whether it's a trade or somebody that's unhappy, he's going to investigate it. So you never know what can happen, James. That's no, just what I, I say. I, and I think that's a really good point, especially like you said. Look, a motivated owner can make a lot of things happen. Uh, you know, we've seen it with the Yankees for years. Like it or hate it, you know, if your owner's willing to shell out a bunch of cash, you can make a lot of things happen that other teams can't make happen. Uh, and I think Middleton's willing to put his money where his mouth is, especially for something like a manager where um, you know it, it doesn't affect any sort of. Um, you know, any sort of uh, uh, luxury tax or anything like that. Like, that's, I mean, in all sports, and obviously baseball doesn't have a hard salary cap or a salary cap, the luxury tax is quite punitive now, which has kind of had some similar effect to that. But, you know, um, the the greatest mitigator for anything like that is, like, why not just pay bunches of money to the best managers, best coaches, because you don't get regulated in that. But regardless, I could see Middleton spending whatever it takes, but I also do think that, Again, with this youth, with the way this club is, I think it does make sense that if there is a bright, young baseball guy that you believe in, that you think it. is the next guy, go for it. Exactly. Whether it's Bogart, whether it's McEwing, whether it's Cora, like, look, the the next great manager is who isn't a manager now is out there somewhere. Like, you Ready? can find him. So. If it's a young manager, Boa stays on the staff. Oh, if it's I, a veteran I, manager, he's probably not on the staff, and Watham becomes the bench coach or the base coach or whatever. Would Larry be willing to like go from bench coach to third base or to first base? Because I think he could stay on the staff that way. I think I think the organization really likes Larry. He if has, they can keep it, him here, they will. Both sides have said, and Boa has been on record, his priority is staying in Philadelphia. If that means not on the on the baseball staff and working as a like front office roving instructor or, or what you know what yeah. he does. He'll just go to different affiliates and work sure. on defense. He's a baseball guy. And Larry doesn't need to be anywhere else. Right. He needs and to I, stay here and I think he's going to, but really the manager's gonna dictate whether he's back on the bench. For sure. I think though back on the bench is a perfect call. I think right. that an organization can say, hey, make this guy your first base coach, make him your third base coach, whatever it is. I think your bench coach should be your guy. Right. I mean that's the guy you're talking to yeah. all game. You're running every strategy by like And I, the Phillies to a younger manager can say like, hey, listen, 
Larry's been there. He knows how to do it. He's yep. great with this. He's great with that. And a younger manager is going to be like, okay, like they don't really, yeah, they, they, they don't they're not yeah. swinging a stick they're where they can say no. They're getting job managing in the you're majors in Buck some of these Showalter, cases. You're not telling him. No. You're Buck not even is, giving it, suggestions. If you're even bringing in a guy like that, they're choosing their own staff. They're choosing. I well, mean, you su- that's where you suggest suggest sure. Watham and be like, hey, this is an up-and-coming guy, yep. first-base coach. Yep. Just get him on the like field that. somewhere. Yep. Right. I agree. But, you know, pitching coach, bench coach, that, that decision would be Bucks or Garden Hires or whatever, I think. James, let me ask you about Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak mm-hmm. before we get out of here on the first episode of High Hopes. The first episode of High Hopes, John Marks and James Seltzer. Um, you know, I was under the impression when Andy McPhail was hired was he was hired because he's ran baseball organizations before, although his title is president and he has a GM that works underneath him, that he would be making a lot of the baseball decisions, being that he's done it before on, sure. on a few different spots. And I was okay with that because structure in baseball is important, right? It's like you got a guy that's done it before. He knows how to run a farm system. He knows how to build from the bottom up, which is what the Phillies were trying to do. And he brings in Matt Klentak to be his GM. Now, I had even said, this is a McPhail production. Like, what, what are we talking about Klentak? Now, McPhail's actually saying in the in year end press conference, no, Matt's making the baseball decisions. He has the final say. And I'm going to try to be fair here because – Klentak made some good moves in the offseason. We know the move, the great moves he didn't make. He was able to get some trades through like waivers and things like like he did a good job making trades at the trade deadline. Um, do we? I mean, Klentak's the one that's deciding what's going on with the Phillies in the future, and like I didn't realize that's what we were signing up for when he when he came to town. Yeah, I. Um... First and foremost, I thought I actually really liked that whether it's true or not that McPhail gave autonomy to Klentak in that public forum and said, like, listen, this is the guy running baseball ops. And I do think that, look, you're the president of the team overall. You do have a lot more going on. You need a GM you can count on. Having said that, look, Pat Gillick was the president of baseball ops, right? And we had Ruben Amaro in there. I don't think anyone really believed that Ruben Amaro was making all the decisions, even though Pat Gillick Not said, at that point. you know, he's making decisions. So I think that McPhail is certainly involved, especially in the big stuff. Sure, I think they're having more, conversations. They're having conversations. The manager, you know, look, Klintak will have a big voice in what manager they're bringing in. He's not bringing in someone where McPhail's like, I don't want well, that guy. Are you ready? McPhail, Middleton. And Klentak, I would say, all have close to the same amount of say, right? Yeah, like, I mean, look, I think Middleton o- doesn't. Middleton's not going to go out and be like, "I want this." Middleton guy. will not overrule them, but ultimately has. But Middleton top will say, "Like, right? w- what about Buck Showalter? Yes. What about this yes. manager? What about that player?" I mean, if he's manage, if he's emailing the GM, being like, "Why are we losing these games after a loss?" You can be damn sure that he's involved in the. Manager oh my god! Search. Yeah, and here's the thing: like, I. I like Matt Klintak. I think what he did do at the trade deadline you mentioned was really savvy. I mean, not only the, the move to moves to bring in guys like Kendrick and, you know, Nishek and these guys on a lower budget who you could specifically bring in to flip for assets, but the getting international money, I mean, that's something that other teams aren't really taking advantage nerd of. Alert, nerd alert. Yeah, nerd, nerd alert. Nerd alert. But listen, teams are given such a no, small right. allotment of international money, and this well, guy a- found a way to kind of skirt around the system. They have, like, what? Uh, twice- Japanese Babe Ruth? <laughs> yeah, Japanese Babe Ruth, baby. Um, no, he's going to get—that guy's going to get paid. Um, but— Regardless, I think just the the idea that they have that kind of advantage, and just that he's thinking that way. Like I'm, I'm a you know a, a Bill James, 
saber metrics, old school baseball. Old, it's funny. I'm saying old school baseball stat guy, but it's like, you know, not old school in that way. But, um, you know, I, I believe in the, the just looking for market inefficiencies, money ball type of thing. You Efficiency. Know, money ball has become this like, you know, I think it's all about walks and all baseball. It's about finding inefficiencies in the market. It's about looking and saying, all right, what's the next best way that I can get an advantage on my competition? Yes. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that Clentag's doing there. And, and I love to see stuff like that. So that, that, that made me very optimistic. But, but look, I also don't want them to, to live and die by that. Of course not. No, he needs to find. He, he needs to prove himself. Like we, he has not made any moves that are earth shattering. He's not. But I also think they haven't done a lot. Like, look, they're, they've kind of hamstrung until now. Not the, much they can do. The fact that they only have Odubel Herrera on the books past this season, you have at a, so at much a very money. good contract. Yes, which is so underrated. People always complain which about. Which we'll talk about. Yes, we'll talk about we the will players. totally talk. We're going to do this that. every week. Um, um, but one, yeah, so the one I, point, point with, is, I'm, I'm bullish on Glentech. I do. I think baseball is a young man sport in terms of guys running teams, and I believe that he could do it. No, you're right, it is. And, and like the NFL has 31-year-old head coaches now, and yeah. you can see what Sean McVay did out in Los Angeles, the I difference mean, between Jess— not that much older than Clentac, and he's won World Series no, the Red no. Sox and the Cubs And you already. saw that trend go with Theo. Yep. John Daniels down in Texas was Terrific. a young guy. Yeah, all those guys. Um, but here's the one thing I worry about with Clentac is— and I, I don't necessarily believe it, but I saw a lot of it after McCannon got fired. In fact, our friend Jack Fritz tweeted it out. Something like, guaranteed that they hire a young analytics manager. And it's like, listen, I'm all down with analytics. I, you can, they, have, they had 14 full-time front office personnel with analytics. They said they were hiring more. They could hire 100 people. That's great. It's I'm awesome. all down for that. I'm looking for any advantage to draft players, to win on the field, yep. all of that. But you can't hire a guy just because. Like, I'm not telling you to go out and hire Jack McKeon, who's going to be like, well, bleep you and your <laughs> analytics. Like, I want a manager to embrace it. But this is baseball. Totally agree with you. You know, I mean, this is baseball. This is this is a this is a this is a, a game that it's very hard to explain sometimes. Totally. And and look, I think, and I, I don't know what Fritz exactly meant by that. I think. It's something in the in the realm of a Joe Madden type guy, someone who is super yes. friendly towards analytics, someone who believes in that type of stuff. But it's not like Joe Madden bases every single thing he does off the numbers. You know, it's there's a lot of other stuff. But there's a feel. Sometimes there's a feel. But there's you also. I think I think Jack, at least in the spirit, is right in the sense that they'll want someone who's willing to look at this information and utilize the stuff that he thinks is valuable. All like all being equal, what do they want for a manager? See, I, I don't even know. I don't know what they're thinking right now because I don't think they know who who's even going to be available. I don't think they know who they want yet. Yeah, I don't think they, I I don't think they went into this with a specific guy. I think they just knew that they weren't going to keep Pete that he wasn't the guy. Indeed. So I, I think that they're going into this somewhat with a fresh kind of outlook. At least that's you know my perspective. They might go in and Tim Bogart was their guy all along or whatever it is. Um, but I think they're going to look for someone who, like we said, is friendly towards analytics or at least somewhat, you know, open to that type of stuff. But I think it's what, kind of what we've been talking about. I think they're going to look for someone who they believe is going to be good with youth, someone who is going to be good at developing kids, at understanding the, the struggles that some of these kids will go through yes. and, and helping them correct it and develop. I think that that is going to be the number one thing they're looking for in a manager. Yeah, I just what Charlie Manuel did with that team is what I'm looking for out of. And you can have an analytics guy that comes in, but really it's about developing the young 100%. players and and when they bring in the high price veteran, which they will, oh my God, now yes. you have to mesh the mesh high price veteran ego with the rest of the team. And listen, Charlie Manuel, the biggest thing he did was 
getting those egos together and really, I mean, that was a great team. That was a great clubhouse. That was a fun team to watch. Yes. Charlie Charlie was pushing all the right buttons with those guys. Absolutely. And that was what, you know, kind of, I, I don't think ever really got the credit he deserved for. It was like Never we said, did. just taking all these personalities, all these talented egos and people. Think who, about. Think about just it's like a, it's like August middle like the middle of August and just kind of sitting there watching a game and they pan to the dugout and, and Charlie's sitting there yapping to Jimmy and Jimmy's you know like standing like in the hole coming up in a couple of bats laughing at Charlie yep. because he's, he's he's doing the chase you know what I'm saying like that's yeah what it is what it is right like, yeah. and you could just see like oh, Jimmy, the way he connected with those players was amazing yeah and, especially uh, considering the age gap and stuff like that it was really oh, he bad. loved him he they loved, loved it, him. and he loved the game and he loved yeah. to be around the game and around hitters Still I think does. I think exactly and I do think it'll be someone like that as well someone who's a a real love for the game because you need that to work with the kids and to really kind of infuse that passion for the sport Personality, into these kids. So not pers- Ryan Sandberg and and someone yeah not Ryan. I, I was perfect <laughs> example because you need someone with a presence like because you have these kids. You've got kids coming. Nice up, you're man, gonna bring great managers. baseball yeah, player, fine, great player, not great manager. Like you need someone with a presence, someone who can stand up in the locker room and have. All these kids, and then Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and whoever it is that you bring in. The Cubs hired <laughs> a ball to, boy know, over. Uh, go along Ryan with what you're doing. You know, it's it's it it takes a lot to be that type of. Person. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun, and before we know it, it's gonna be hot stove, and the Phillies will very much be involved, uh, whether it's free agency or a trade, and we'll talk about that coming up uh, in subsequent weeks. We would love to talk about playoff baseball. However, we don't know when this is going to go. Uh, is going to be published. Yes. So right in right now, we're watching uh, Game Four of the Yankees and the Indians, and we just um, we just uh, I was just watching the Cubs beat the the Nationals. Yes, which will sound really silly when we release this in like a week or something. Yeah, or, or later <laughs> this week. But you, you no, can count yeah. on this that um, high hopes. This is our first podcast. We're going to be doing it every week, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we look forward to growing with the audience just like the team's growing with the fan base right now. So it's very good. Anything else there, Seltzer? No. That was proud. How could I I do better than that line? No profanity. We didn't yeah. curse, and BGN Dude, always curses, so I, I know you guys. I don't know if, if there are some enterprising listeners out there. Go back. There were at least four times where I was this close, and I thought I was going to do it, but I didn't. What's your Twitter? At James Seltzer. Pretty tough to remember. At John Marks Media. So the at John Marks was already taken. So uh, <laughs> tweet us. We'll be talking. It's, listen, we love the Eagles, but we're talking baseball this winter, James Seltzer. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you next week. See you. Bye, guys.